0: The following talk was given by myself, Father Sean McDermott, to All Saints Anglican Church on March 20th. The recording starts rather abruptly, so let me preface it quickly. The talk is about the general nature of icons, what they are, how do they compare between the East and the West. At our church, we have several beautiful icons by the iconographer named Jonathan Edwards, and that's where our talk here starts enjoy. We called Jonathan a few months ago ago, and it was really truly great timing. Uh, Perhaps we could call it divine timing. He was in between some major projects right at the time and he was willing to work on more icons for us. So we went back and forth with him and discussed uh, the possibility of getting four new icons for our sanctuary and you might ask who is that who are these four new icons going to be and you're going to have to wait a little bit longer i'll get to that in just a second but before i want to name them uh, and because we're getting more icons we thought it'd be a really great time to do some more teaching on iconography in particular and then once we do a general kind of background uh, then we can start learning about these individuals who will now be with us every single week, who we already are, uh, but now we will we'll have their icon. So let me explain a little outline of this series first, um, a little road map, and then we will move on. So probably for the next six classes uh, we're going to be talking about iconography and for the next two classes I want to answer four kind of broad questions. Uh, The first two we'll get at tonight in a very superficial manner, but which would be one, which new icons are we actually getting? We'll get there. And then two, what are icons? Why are we getting these in particular? Next week, we'll start looking at the broader theological questions of why do we actually have icons? And then the more practical question how do we use them in our worship? If, if we do have them, if there are good reasons for them, then how do you actually use an icon? We've done some of this before. Uh, at the women's retreat, I led a little short meditation on the All Saints icon. Uh, but I want to talk kind of more generally then to teach uh, people how to use icons at their ho- in the home, at the parish, uh, and with different types of icons as well. So... This is going to be, in a sense, uh, a systematic approach. But at the same point, as soon as you start talking about what I what are icons, you're kind of explaining why we have them and a little bit of how you use them. So it's all going to be kind of mixed up together. And I'm hoping that as we go through this, uh, layer upon layer will be added to the understanding of iconography. And so. These are all wrapped up together, kind of like an icon itself, how there's so much packed into one image or one phrase. And we will work each little bit out in the next few weeks. So, can you believe it? We're gonna have four new icons coming to our parish. And um, I'm hoping that that was a great surprise to you to read uh, in the email that we are actually receiving them. We don't know when yet. Jonathan has started working on the first two. We're gonna get two at one point and then two at another point. And uh, we'll, we're gonna to have to kind of wait and see. The timeline is always a little bit iffy. But here they are. The first icon that we're gonna receive uh, is St. Peter. He will be matched on the facing wall uh, by St. Paul. Now, if you're trying to see where these are going to be uh, if you're looking from the nave into the sanctuary, which is the final bit of the, of the church where the altar is and where the clergy are, uh, where the clergy sit against the wall, these are going to go on those walls, on those kind of facing walls. And so St. Peter will match St. Paul facing each other. The next one will be St. Michael the Archangel. And finally, perhaps a little bit surprising, uh, especially um, in this age, is going to be St. Elizabeth the New Martyr. And she might be quite unfamiliar to you. She may be even someone that you've never even heard of. Well, part of what we're gonna be doing in this class is really uh, in the last two classes, uh, diving into St. Elizabeth's biography, and the history of her, and why we are actually going to put her uh, up in our church. Um, St. Elizabeth, just to give you a very, very brief uh, biography, she is the granddaughter of Queen Victoria. She is the aunt of Queen Elizabeth, and she was the Grand Duchess of Russia. Uh, She was married to the Grand Duke. Uh, he, He was assassinated She devoted her life to Christ, became an Orthodox nun, started a convent in the middle of Moscow that was devoted to feeding the poor and serving uh, the poor in Moscow. And during the Bolshevik Revolution, she was taken and uh, killed because of her witness as a Christian. Uh, She is an incredible figure uh, in the modern world. And that's why also she's called the new martyr because she is actually kind of from our time frame and has connections uh, in many ways um, to the Anglican world. She grew up as an Anglican. Uh, uh, she was often in England, uh, visiting Queen Victoria, going to Anglican services, and so uh, and she lived in Germany with her father. So she had strong Anglican and Lutheran ties and then became an Orthodox nun. What a wonderful figure uh, for us. And uh, there's been several of us, I know that Anne and uh, Alice and Father Dan and I have all been reading biographies of her. And I think for all of us, she has been an astounding figure, uh, someone who has been a great example. So these are the four, uh, St. Saint Peter, St. Saint Paul, St. Michael the Archangel, and St. Elizabeth the New Martyr. But in order to see why we chose these four figures for our new icons, it will be helpful to kind of go back and and ask, what is an icon? Uh, Where do we see them in churches? And so just to begin very, very broadly, uh, in the Greek, the word icon uh, just means an image, a likeness portrait, the image in a mirror, reflection is what you're seeing. If it is a likeness, then, uh, there is knowledge of the true object through the icon. You're standing in a mirror, and you look in the mirror, and you see, through the mirror, a dresser behind you. Uh, You are recognizing that dresser. You you see that dresser. Uh, It is not the dresser itself, but you know a lot about it by seeing the icon of it, the reflection of it in the mirror. And so likewise, icons, we learn about the, what's called the prototype, what the icon is imaging through the icon. Uh, there's the famous patristic phrase that says, the honor that, um, the honor that we give an icon passes to the prototype. Uh, the honor or prayers that we give to the image does not just stay right there at the image, but it, uh, this is maybe a bad metaphor, but it passes through it to the prototype, to what it is imaging. Many, many, many things are icons in a general sense. Uh, Let's just take one of the most famous icons of Christianity, okay, Um, and that would be the the crucifix. The crucifix is an icon. Uh, It is an image a reflection, a portrait of a historical event. But that historical event has become, to, for us, a sign, an image of uh, salvation, an image of the suffering of Christ. All these things are packed into this one simple image. And you can have a simple crucifix like this, made out of wood. Uh, you could have more elaborate crucifixes. This is from uh, the Cathedral of Chartres. Here you have a crucifix now in stone, surrounded by a scene. But in the scene here, uh, we're getting more and more symbols piled one on top of another. You can see at the bottom of Jesus' feet, you see skulls. uh, You see angels standing on the side of each of the piers. Now you have the faithful of Christ standing below him, uh, looking in anguish on his body that is hanging on the cross. Now there's many more layers of meditation going on here, many layers of meaning going on. This is an icon. And through this image then, we start learning about being able to meditate about the actual true event that occurred. And then the the honor that we give this image or the uh, time that we give this image can pass through this to the actual prototype. But sometimes icons are, they're not as straightforward as this or realistic as this. Sometimes icons can take the figures of architecture. And so here we have the cross, the crucifix, that has now been glorified to this majestic scale. This uh, This is the cathedral in Washington, D.C. And here you can see the cruciform form of the cathedral, right? Uh, you have the, um, the nave and the sanctuary and the choir asp going out to the side and it's in the form of a cross. This is an icon. And in the West, in the Western church, uh, some of our greatest iconographic icon, icon, expressions is through architecture. But then finally, uh, in the West, we had the stone, we had the wood, but then we found expression in stained glass as well. Uh, stained glass is, is a form of iconography, uh, usually quite realistic, but then you start seeing here the center scene of the crucifix, but then on either side, you, you start understanding all these symbols going on, uh, like the, the um, castles or the churches, yeah, the churches up above here on the left and the right, um the colors that are being chosen specifically, uh, that represent different people, that represent uh, different virtues or vices and different scenes. So what we're seeing is that all of these forms of physical images are types of icons through which we start not only learning about the prototype or learning about... Um, what is being depicted, but we can also enter into devotion with these images. We can enter into meditation through them. And obviously, though it needs to be said, uh, when we pray in front of a stained glass, when we pray in front of a stone statue, when we pray inside a church, when we pray in front of a crucifix, our prayers are not to the actual object itself, but through the object, they're helping us to pray to the prototype, to God himself, to Christ. Uh, And this is iconography. In the East, iconography took on, especially uh, in uh, Byzantium, during the uh, Byzantine Empire, took on a very, very specific form of artistic expression. These are the type of icons that we're very familiar with. These are the icons that we have uh, in our church. Uh, the All Saints icon, uh, Blessed Virgin Mary, and Saint John the Forerunner, all of those are done in a very specific expression that was developed in the Eastern Orthodox Church. And those are uh, the alternatives in the Eastern Church to what the Western Church was developing uh, in many, many different forms. And I'm sure Ken might be just aching to add a comment here that music also is another form of iconography, uh, another form of using a physical mode to help us enter into meditation through the music we enter into it. All right, still though, the question remains for us. Why are Christians so drawn to icons? Why do we put so much emphasis on these physical representations? Why icons themselves? We find this answer in Jesus Christ himself. Before the incarnation, God demanded, he demanded that there be no images made of him. He did appear in a few uh, images, some people might call them symbols, such as maybe the burning bush, the the column of fire, and the pillar of cloud that went before, um, the cloud of presence, All these are actual images of God, but not in quite the same way. None of those were God himself. Jesus, though, is the image of the invisible God, and this is coming from Colossians, of course. Um, If you all can see my pointer here, the the word eikon here is showing up. He is the eikon, the icon of God the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Jesus is the very first icon. In fact, it might be better to say that he is the true icon in which all other icons participate. We can only have icons because Jesus became man. The second person of the Trinity became man. And so, because he is the very first icon, the very image of God in his body, and because Jesus' body is also the mystical body of the church, all Christians now take part in the one true icon. Those who are caught up into, through baptism, caught up into his body, now we are part of his body as the church, and so we are all part of the very image of God. And so an icon of a saint is truly a window into God because they are also part of Jesus Christ. They are, in a a small way, a very image of the invisible God. And we're gonna have to explore this, unpack this a little bit more next week because we're gonna move on from here. But this is just to give you a a glimpse of why icons move beyond just Jesus into the whole cloud of witnesses of saints. And why, and this is, you know, our All Saints icon as such is probably the best expression of this. You have Jesus Christ sitting on his throne in front of a cloud of witnesses. All the saints are surrounding him. And that reality is the reality of the church. It is in fact the truest reality that we know and we can uh, partake in. So we're gonna follow that up a little bit more next week and leave it there, uh, and hopefully you'll have some questions uh, on that sort of thing. All right, so given that background a little bit of these, um, of, of icons and how we use them in the East and the West, then why these four icons? Well, let's start in the East. In Eastern Orthodox churches, uh, they have a very special form of architecture that is unique uh, to Eastern churches. One part of that architecture is called the iconostasis. The iconostasis is a screen, uh, like you see right here in front of you, that is in front of the altar. You know, in our church where we go and there's the railing where we kneel for communion, that is the place where this iconostasis would stand all the way across the sanctuary. And so only through these little little kind of glimpses in there can you actually see the priest at the altar. On the iconostasis, there is a general rubric, a general form of which icons should be presented. Let me uh, go to another one to give you a little bit grander vision. Look at that. Isn't that incredible? Uh, can you imagine going to a church like that? I mean, just be, you know, someday at All Saints, we'll, we'll have this, right, Father Glenn? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm not gonna go into all the details here. Each level or tier has a certain name and it has um, uh, usually certain icons need to go on certain tiers. Now, of course, you can go to a Serbian Orthodox and they have exactly their ordering. And then you go to Russian Orthodox and they have their ordering. So there's differences found within the Orthodox churches. But in general, the bottom tier is called uh, the sovereign and in the middle are called the beautiful gates. And that's where the priest goes in and out. Generally, uh, on the left and right of those gates, you will find uh, Christ at the incarnation, so with the Theotokos. And then you will find him, um, what's called the the icon of the Pantocrator, which is him as the ruler. And that's him uh, at his second coming. So you have his first coming and his second coming on both sides of the doors where all the action is going on. Then on either side of them, you can move into different images of uh, Christ's life or the 12 great feasts. The second level, though, moving up a level, and these can kind of be switched. This is where we're getting, um, where I want to start pointing out things. Uh, One of those levels, uh, the top level in this one, is called the deesis. And that is the icon of Christ enthroned. That's the one uh, that you see there. He's holding the book in the middle at the very top. But on always on the deesis, then, you have John the Baptist on one side and the Theotokos on the other side, just like we have at our church, right? This is a very traditional placement of these icons. Now, then... As you move down that, uh, that down that line, you then will always have some angels, either uh, Saint Michael the Archangel or Gabriel or both of them. Beyond the angels, then, you will always have Saints Peter and Paul. So this is the uh, standard kind of. Um, Arrangement of icons that you'll find on these iconostases all over the Orthodox Church Beyond Peter and Paul, then you will find usually local Saints or the patron Saint of that Church Now, why am I showing you this in the Orthodox? We're not Orthodox and we're not going to build such a elaborate amazing iconostasis at all Saints I mean we could but we're probably not going to well Within the Western church, actually, this is astounding, the Western church still has the same exact iconography of architecture. Within the Western tradition, uh, right here, this is where our railing is, right? In that red line, um, was called the rude screen. In the West, instead of having elaborate icons and the iconostasis, there developed a tradition of still having though, a separation and an elaborate either wood carving uh, and it would always be topped with a cross, hence the word rude screen. Uh, Rude is the old English word for uh, a cross. So this is very iconographic, isn't it? It's still using icon uh, or the, the image and it definitely, within the image of the architecture, it is explicit of showing beyond these gates is the Holy of Holies. This is the altar of God. This is the presence of God on this altar past this screen. Now, the rood screen took many different forms. Uh, here are some drawings I found on this uh, book, a lovely read called A Treatise on English Rude Screens. But what I wanted to show you here is, the elaboration builds up and up and up, doesn't it? But the elaboration as it builds up actually becomes quite similar to the Orthodox iconostasis. Here at the top, instead of Christ enthroned as the uh, pancrotator, now you have the crucifix, which is the Western emphasis, the Western image over the second coming of Christ. On either side of John the Baptist, you definitely have Mary, and probably a patron saint. And then down below, on this row over here, you looks like you would probably have all the apostles and many other saints that would probably be attributed to the local custom of the church. Farther below you have scenes going on in the life of Christ. What I'm trying to point out here is that even in the western church, you had this same impulse of creating an icon an icon screen to help people enter into worship through this devotion, uh, this is happening in modern churches and, and in English medieval churches. Here is a uh, not a reproduction; it was a restored rood screen in England um, from Suffolk in Church of Saint John the Baptist. This, I think, was redone in the eighteen hundreds, but they had found remnants of it before. I think. Again, look at the iconography going on here. Not. In the Eastern form, we have statues now, and we have the crucifix on top. Uh, oh, and don't you see it? Aren't those dragons awesome that they're standing on? It's, uh, there's so many cool things here. And then now here, down here, you have uh, more Eastern iconography coming through, because this was done in the 1800s, you have probably a little bit more mixture at this point, uh, and a combination of the rude screen with icons. Uh, then I found this, Our Lady of Walsingham in Dallas, Texas. This was done, um, sorry about that. This was done just in the last few years, and here is a mod, a very modern presentation of a rude screen in a pretty grand church down in Dallas, Texas. It's big because it's Texas, and uh, but just to show you that even now there are uh, churches still keeping on this tradition in the West of a rude screen, and It is very iconographic, but we're going to have to save all those details till next time. So, going back to why these four then. Why do we have um, the four um, icons that we're going to have? Well, one is because it it is a tradition of the East and the West uh, to present uh, right at the altar uh, the apostles Peter and Paul. Obvious reasons, but, you know, maybe we can point these out just quickly. Uh, one, Peter and Paul represent the, the two births of the church, the Jewish birth of the church and the Gentile birth of the church, right? This kind of coming out from the, the Jewish heritage and Paul bringing the Gentile heritage. The icon of Peter and Paul, which is a really famous icon, has them two standing together, and in between them, they hold a church. And they are the pillars of the church uh, and the martyrs at Rome together. And so through the images, the icons of Peter and Paul, we are coming together with all the apostles. They are the representatives of all the apostles. St. Michael the Archangel, then, is represented on all the iconostasis in the Eastern Church uh, that that God has provided for us an angelic realm to not only help us and guide us, But these are people who, or these are creatures uh, who are also um, part of the redemption of all of creation. And they fight for us. Uh, Saint Michael, the archangel, is the arch nemesis of Satan himself. And he is the one who fights against the fallen angel. And so we are reminded of our spiritual battles and also the spiritual aid that God gives us through St. Michael the Archangel and all of our own guardian angels. And then finally, we come to St. Elizabeth, the new martyr, uh, someone who has lived a life, uh, maybe not very similar to us, (laughs) as we are not royalty, uh, or yeah, so many reasons there, but um, who is someone who has lived a life in our present time, who has been a faithful witness to Christ in the present time, and who has fought against some of the greatest evils of our age, of atheism, and the totalitarian um, forces that she went up against in her life, the revolutions that she went up against in her life. We're gonna explain more about each of these icons individually in other classes. And so now I would like to wrap this up. I'm not gonna open it up to too many questions right now because here's what I want you to do. One, I'm really nervous of Sashana's question, so I gotta gotta like save it a little. No, I'm just kidding, Sashana. what I want you to do is I would love for you to email me the questions you have about iconography. In particular, to the broader questions of either why we have icons, uh, how do we use icons, etc. Because the next class or the next two classes are gonna be specifically on this broad top of, topic of iconography, but I would love to know, what you need to hear, what you need to learn. We've talked about icons here and there, done some devotions with icons. So I wanna know where should we go from here? And please send me your questions this week. And if you have a pressing question now, uh, please ask, and then we can go. So thank you very much. And um, I would need your help to kind of guide the class to the next few steps. So please don't forget to send me a question if you have one or something you really want to make sure is covered. Thank you. That was great. Very good. Oh, you're welcome, Nancy. Thank you for joining us all the way from Richmond, Virginia. My pleasure. <laughs> uh, the James has asked, "What size are the icons going to be?" Um, we uh, they are going to be very similar to the icons of the Blessed Virgin Mary and Saint John the Forerunner. Uh, Jonathan it was just awesome talking to Jonathan about this sort of thing um, as an artist and he's just wonderful so he basically says well you have to make them quite smaller because the perspective is so different and you don't really even think about it but they're you know 12 feet in front of the other ones and you can't have them bigger than you know the Blessed Virgin Mary so the size wise uh, is they're going to Uh, they're gonna be a little bit smaller so that in perspective, they'll kind of all look the same size as you look at the sanctuary. Um, The icons that I showed you are not Jonathan's icons. They will be full-figured and that's why I chose the ones that I showed you. Um, On his website, he does have one uh, um, smaller icon of St. Elizabeth, the new martyr, but uh, he's gonna do a full-figure one. Uh, like the one I showed you. And Peter asked, where would the last two icons uh, be placed? So we're gonna have two on each wall. I didn't really explain that very well. We're gonna have two on each wall uh, facing each other. So St. Peter and St. Paul will be facing each other. And then St. Michael, the archangel and St. Elizabeth, the new martyr will face each other. We are, are, I'm pretty sure we're getting St. Michael and St. Elizabeth first. Uh, any other questions like that? That's great. Oh, am I on? Yeah. I have a question. Um, yes. If, if you have any um, any good reading material on St. Elizabeth, it would be not, or maybe you're already going to do that, but maybe just to put it out or recommend for, for, for folks to look, because there's a lot out there that's not good. That's this kind of, it's, it's a little hyperbole. It's just really not, um, it's just Sensation. not good. Yeah, yeah it is and I and but but there's also some good stuff but it's harder to find. Yeah, Father Dan and I read one biography which we kind of both agreed was I don't know, Father Dan, you can talk about it. It wasn't too great and it, and it drew conclusions where maybe the, the biographer shouldn't have. Mhm. Yeah. But the one I'm reading right now uh is much more in depth, much more I think balanced and okay. um it's it's incredible. What is she, that? She was incredible. What's the title of that one? Do you have uh, you can uh, let us know? Hey, yeah. Father, do you remember that quote from Lennon? Oh, yeah. So this is the yeah. other. I mean, uh-huh. That's good. we can save some of these things to when we actually talk about this. But she is just amazing. Um, when she died, uh, there is a quote from Lennon who said, um, she is more dangerous than all the czars and their armies combined. Yeah. More dangerous yeah. to our cause than yeah. all the czars and their armies. Thank you, Father Dan. Dan. Lenin was exhilarated that she was killed. Uh, he was very, very happy at that fact. Uh, he thought that that would be the end of her, uh, which then he didn't really quite know about uh, saints at all, uh, or the power of of the resurrected Christ. Um, She was killed, she was thrown into a mine, uh, into a mine shaft and then uh, with a few other people and then they uh, put grenades down the mine shaft uh, and that is how she died and um, a few months later, a few faithful went back and dug her and the other people out and her body was unharmed and uncorrupted at that time Uh, And it's a it's an incredible miracle. She's buried in um, Jerusalem Yeah, her body was transferred to Jerusalem the Holy Sepulcher. Yeah, I think so Yeah, and one other just amazing thing about how all this is coming together with Jonathan Um, Father Glenn and I have been talking about St. Elizabeth for quite a while and she kept coming up um, quite a bit and at that point I kind of said to Jonathan you know this is a little bit sounds maybe kind of weird that we would like for you to write Saint Elizabeth the new martyr and he just kind of paused and he said I would love to. Mm. I He had just been last year to her convent in Moscow and visited and he said he had one of the most profound religious experiences of his life while he was there. So It seemed to me that uh, this was, he is the right iconographer uh, for us to write this icon. He has already written one uh, of her that is now, I think, in Washington, um, a small one for just a private family. Uh, And he knows of a church in Los Angeles that he's been to that does have her on the iconostasis. And um, so he feels that it's um, a wonderful thing to do, and he felt honored to be able to write it for us. So it's quite quite wonderful. Her, there was one other question, does St. Elizabeth Newmar have a feast day? Uh, her feast day in the... <laughs> Phineas, I can see the chat, yes, thank you. Uh, The feast day uh, for her in the Russian Orthodox Church is July 5th. I'm pretty sure about that, I'm double checking that, but I think that's right. Um, The book that I've been reading, which is pretty good, is Elizabeth, Grand Duchess of Russia. Oh, she was also the most beautiful princess, royal princess at the time. She was amazing, and it's by Hugo Magier, Magier. Good. When did she die, Father Sean? Um, She died in 1918, Mm -hmm. on July 18th, so I'm not really quite sure why July 5th is her date, but we'll have to look that up some more. Father, could you spell the author's last name? M-A-G-E-R. And this is the book from the local library. So I have that one, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, if there are no, Phineas, any more questions? All right, that sounds great. Well, please send me your questions about iconography in general, and um, I would love to answer those next week. We're going to dive a little bit more deeper into the theology of icons, and uh, kind of um, maybe a little bit of of a defense of icons, and then we'll move on to devotion, and then Father Glenn and I are going to kind of uh, take turns going through Peter and Paul, Michael, and then Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. Yeah.